Guy will Hawkeyes celebrate a long, proud history. In 1970, the university made a key hire, Bump Elliott as athletic director. Labeled as the coach's AD, he ushered in a golden age. But it was a new type of gold, a yellow gold. He brought in Dan Gable, Lute Olson, Hayden Fry, and Vivian Stringer, all Hall of Fame coaches. Coach Fry inherited a program that had struggled through 17 losing seasons and needed change. As part of his rebuild, he decided to rebrand his team, getting permission from the Super Bowl champion Steelers to emulate their uniforms. He worked with a local art director to create the Tigerhawk logo and complete the makeover, saying, where I come from, it's called selling the sizzle before the steak. Coach Fry and his coaching peers lived up to the task presented by the AD, and Iowa has never looked back. Black and Yellow Gold aims to celebrate the great people, programs, community, and culture that define Hawkeye Nation. Little snarkiness from Coach. <laughs> that only took 22 years. Outstanding. I mean, first of all, it shows that the guy still has the pulse. He's, you know, he's in it. Hey, fellow Hawkeyes. Welcome to another shorter episode OT of Black and Yellow Gold. That was a short clip of today's guest, uh, former Iowa Hawkeye wide receiver, Darrell Johnson Koulianos. He's currently an assistant coach as well as wide receiver coach for the Bloomsburg Huskies out in Pennsylvania. Now, I know uh, Darrell's a bit of a conundrum for uh, Hawkeyes, both the team and the fans. He was certainly, you can't argue, he was one of the best to wear the uniform. He brought us a lot of joy, and at the same time, he's uh, had his moments where he was definitely polarizing. As a friend, I know I certainly have experienced my frustrations. That's not really what this podcast is supposed to be about, and at some point we'll have a uh, longer conversation. We do tread on, we do tread on a few subjects. You know, the, the reality with somebody like Darrell is he was a kid that was uh, thrust into a spotlight, and that's awesome. As an athlete, that's, that's really what you aspire to, to experience, to be a part of. And it's great with Hawkeye fans. I mean, it's just such an incredible experience that's kind of hard to put into words. But I also think at the same time, uh, because there are no pro sports in Iowa, specifically in certain states like Iowa, uh, we have a tendency to treat these kids like they're professionals. And they're not. They're kids. That's one thing that this pandemic has definitely exposed is the obvious uh, contradictions about being a quote-unquote student-athlete. I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be coached by Dan Gable, and a lot was expected of us. But he also knew, uh, there were, you know, I, I certainly know myself and a lot of my friends had our issues at that age. Same mistakes I'm sure a lot of us make. And Coach Gable is interesting in that way because he really knew us as individuals and what we needed. On a recent podcast, Barry and Davis and I had this conversation. I was on the Bulls championship teams in Chicago, uh, during the Michael Jordan years, there's a certain similarity that Barry and I talked about, about Gable and uh, Phil Jackson and really understanding the individual. I mean, think about coaching a Michael Jordan and a Dennis Rodman at the same time. They definitely have uh, different needs and you're coached in a very different way. There wasn't just one particular way to do it. As I get older, I'm definitely more uh, empathetic to how infuriating it has to be for parents, teachers and coaches. I, I get it. Most recently, I was really frustrated. I was talking to a colleague of mine who's also a very close friend, and she grew up in South Bend, big Notre Dame fan. And I was frustrated with the fans that were allowed to go to the game, 11,000 kids storming the field after the upset of Clemson. They all ran down. They'd been wearing masks for most of the game. I assume they were following the rules. 
but suddenly their masks were off and they're running around on the field screaming. From my understanding, coach knew and, and warned them all that that was probably a probability that the kids would be running out on the field and not to join them. He asked everybody to go to the tunnel, and apparently half the team listened, the other half didn't. And I just know when we were sacrificing everything when I was wrestling to be national champs, we certainly would uh, be listening to coach, and it was so important to us. That doesn't seem like a big sacrifice, but I was appalled to see the, these players down there. She countered back with me with something I never heard before, that our brains, a certain part of our brains that rationalizes things, they're still teenagers until you're 25 sounded a little outlandish to me. I went and she sent me some articles and some research on it. And I go and Google it yourself. But I went and looked at it. And sure enough, that's what scientists feel. It's pretty well documented. There's a lot of research out there. And I'm not certainly saying excuses people's behavior. But it is certainly another perspective that's interesting. Somebody who seems to understand this is, uh, is Coach Ference. I kind of forget that sometimes early in his career when he got started, he was also an English teacher. In his uh, typical self-deprecating approach, he uh, claims that he became illiterate when he moved to a full-time football coach. Last week in a press conference, he was asked by uh, the athletic Scott Docterman about all the obstacles and tribulations the team encountered over the summer and even most recently this fall. He answered by quoting and reverting to Robert Frost. I find it intriguing uh, and commendable. He's obviously going back to his English roots, but here's part of his answer. But the other part about it, the things you mentioned, you know, I mean, if you learn anything in life, life comes at you, right? Uh, Robert Frost, life goes on. Um, that was his quote, and I, I would add to it that life comes at you. So, yeah, not, nothing stays the same, nothing static. Life's not static by any chance, if, if you're living. I mean, if you're doing something. Uh, so, you know, you try to deal with everything that comes your way as smart as you can. And, I mean, we've been 2-18, and 18, you know, we've uh, had the, the things happen that you've totally referenced, and, you know, you just try to do deal with it on a day-to-day -day basis, do the best you can. And, uh, you know, when you get up in the morning, you try to do the same thing over again. And that's pretty much the answer that, uh, you know, that I would have for you. That's just what you do. I went to go find the source of that quote and found an article written by Ray Josephs. He wrote a uh, supplement that was put in newspapers called This Week's Magazine. The conversation took place in 1954 at uh, Frost's 80th birthday party. Joseph's asked him, in all your years and all your travels, what do you think is the most important thing you've learned about life? He said, Frost paused for a moment. Then with a twinkle sparkling under those brambly eyebrows, he replied in three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. In all the confusions of today, with all of our troubles, with politicians and people slinging the word fear around, all of us become discouraged. Tempted to say this is the end finish but life it goes on it always has it always will don't forget that seemed appropriate uh, that France used it and certainly seems apropos for the times we're living today anyway we'll have Dorel on again soon for a proper discussion that's not really what this was intended to be uh, but here's a few tidbits from our short conversation Johnson Koulianos. How you doing, my friend? Eric Hennick, what's going on? Been a little bit. Been a while. We had a little time out there for a minute. You know what they say. Yeah. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. There you go. 
So I'm, I'm, this is a new thing I kind of started. This is um, kind of a shorter show. Again, we're obvious sports reference OT, but we're calling it on a tangent or off topic. Really not looking to do uh, sports news, but there's certainly topical stuff to talk about our Hawkeyes. Um, first of all, real quick, you are a coach of the Bloomsburg Huskies, wide receiver coach. Is that right? That is correct. Join that. Yeah, it's going well. Join it. Having a blast. Feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's uh, been here since March, and uh, so far so good. How are you guys dealing with the whole COVID virus? Yeah, it's um, still on a wrench in the operation. I mean, you know, we've got senior class who, you know, typically they would leave, which would free up money for our freshman class. Um, obviously, our season has been canceled. Uh, haven't been able to have exposure to the to the team really. Uh, a couple guys I've met in passing, but it's just been a uh, been an odd uh, onboarding. But you know, making the best of it. Isn't how's the NCAA going to deal with that? Because I know, for example, um, the winter sports. So Spencer Lee at Iowa. I don't know if you know who he is, but he he'd be Iowa's first four time national wrestling champion. He's won two. Last year he was going for his third. And they're giving them another season so he can come back next year to go for his fourth of, you know, wins this year, you know, as an option. So it's kind of like a free year for some of those guys. And I don't know how it works with the scholarships. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, uh, up until what, last, say, Tuesday, uh, we were still unsure if we were going to have a spring season. But what we did know was that if we were going to have a spring season, a five game or a seven game spring season, that quote unquote season was not going to count uh, against anybody's eligibility. So um, as we now know, there won't be a spring season. Uh, nobody obviously will lose a year of eligibility. Um, but like I said earlier, you know, we're trying to decide on, Hey, what kids you know, do we think you know, should move on? You know what I mean? And, and then what kids, you know, we would like to retain. Uh, from the senior class. So it's, you know, just trying to figure that out right now. Yeah, I'm sure it's, a, it's all messy. We're all dealing with it. Everything's messy because of this whole thing. Anyway, um, so yeah, I saw you uh, tweet some stuff that pretty good performance, good offensive performance the last two weeks from the Hawkeyes. And uh, one of the things that uh, I was kind of fascinated by, and I saw you tweet something about it as well, was uh, Ferentz's reaction to Fleck at the end of the game. Um, I actually have a, a quick clip from uh, his interview afterwards. So let me play that real quick. Okay. Hey, Kirk, do you want to talk about what the what was going on at the end of the game with, uh, you know, both sides kind of calling timeouts and, uh, you know, seems like just playing to the end of this game? Well, you know, I mean, we, uh, they called a timeout, I guess, to look get a look at what we're doing to reconsider. So we just kind of wanted to make sure we got a good look what they were doing and uh you know no sense taking them on the bus with us right i think you guys were reminding me of that a couple of times over the last 22 years so figured we'd uh, take floyd with us and leave the timeouts here little snarkiness from coach yeah <laughs> that only took 22 years outstanding i mean first of all it shows that the guy still has the pulse he's you know he's in it um these young coaches come into the league uh with their you know pj flex row the boat mantra um, he's done pretty well against him on the last couple of years. Obviously, they won six in a row. Um, but I thought that was the timing of that quote 
um, you know, with the state of the program, first off with a slow start, 0-2 start, um, you even it out, 2-2. Two and two, You know, there's some people on the fence as far as their loyalty to the program, This, you know, questioning the state of the program. Is it Kirk's time to move on? Um, you know, I think that showed – I think that sort of galvanizes the troops. I know as a player, when I hear my head coach make that statement, that fires me up. Um, you know, one, because he's not going to back down. Uh, to people thinking that he should move on, he's not going to back down to the young, you know, new coaches in the league. Um, what I thought was impressive by the offense is they sort of went back to their bread and butter, which was established in the line of scrimmage. Okay, uh, everybody knew they were going to run the ball. Defense knew they were going to run the ball. Minnesota knew they were going to run the ball, um, and they couldn't stop it. Right, and that's just an attitude thing. Um, and then having coach um, sort of echo that sentiment with his statement. Um, you know, I thought that was fantastic. Well, back to the statement that, uh, you know, we only get little glimpses of the private parents, us as fans on the outside looking in. He, he has a very, he's very careful with his public persona and the way he talks about things. But obviously you've seen the feistiness and stuff, that side of it. We don't normally get to hear or see. Every once in a while there'll be a recording from a pregame talk or something that'll put in a, in a hit film or whatever else. But uh, we don't get to see that side of him much. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's one for you know, politically correct statements. Um, he's very well calculated in, in what he says. He once told me, uh, the less you say, the less you have to take back. And I'll never forget that, obviously. Uh, How'd that work out advice. for you? <laughs> <laughs> I should have did a better job of taking his advice. But <laughs> We're going to have that conversation at some point. But he, he, he uh, definitely got some good uh, thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, he... Um, like I said, the guy's extremely calculated. I think as of late, he's heard it all about himself. Um, and right now he's just, you know, he's got, and I think this is, we're going to see more of this. You know, they, they talked about, I think it was last year, or maybe the year before, um, you know, they started to call him new Kirk or Kirk 2.0 or whatever it was. Yeah, it was both of them, um, all of the above. Yeah, in regard to, you know, him taking more risk, you know, on, you know, fourth down situations you know, fake field goals, fake punts, going forward on, you know, short, third and short, just gambling more, you know, being more creative with the offense, doing jet sweeps, reverses, you know, double passes, all kinds of different things that we didn't see for a long time that I think we all yarned for for, for, for a long time. For well, one of, one of the so, fake fourth downs, which I loved early in that season, was uh, he went for a, a fake field goal and came up a yard short, but everybody in Kinnick stood up on their feet applauding. <laughs> Loved Even though it, it failed. Loved it. They make it, you know, the big joke is that he's, you know, he, he, he recruits punters. You know what I mean? He wants a guy that, and Kirk Barrett has been a guy who wants to run the ball and then he wants to play field position football. But I think in order for us to appeal to some of the you know, four or five star difference makers, skilled players, you know, we've got to start to do some of the things that make Iowa football as exciting. And I think he's starting to, I mean, they, listen, when I was playing, they weren't allowed to wear, we were, we had to wear gray gloves. We weren't really allowed to wear wristbands and that kind of thing. Now you see the kids are wearing you know, all kinds of different things. Earrings. Uniforms, I saw earrings, earrings this season. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think that, you know, this quote unquote new Kirk and, you know, if this would have been the guy say in 2009 and 10, I think we would, may have gotten along a little bit better. <clears throat> I, I saw, uh, I had showing you one time a picture of Chuck Long, that 86 team, and Ronnie Harmon was in the front. A few of the guys were wearing uh, gold chains. And you're like, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely. It was good to see. It was good to see 
the team win in the fashion that they did. Uh, it was good to see, you know, coach have a, you know, a pulse there, you know, with the uh, snarky comment. And I think, you know, basic from what I saw on social media, boy, did that galvanize the Iowa community, uh, at least from a Twitter standpoint. And, and hopefully they can carry that momentum uh, into the rest of the season. Yeah, I try not to wade too much into Twitter, but it did get people fired up. Talking about T-shirts and everything. Adam Rittenberg, actually, he tweeted at first and said, uh, put that on a T-shirt now. Yeah, yeah. So The one thing that's interesting, you know, Ferentz doing that is prior to him, Fry, I don't know if you know, he was a psychology major. Did you know that? Who is? Hayden Fry was. Okay. He was the master of snark and messing with people. Okay. He, uh, I don't know if you've heard the story, but when they played, you know, that famous Michigan game, Number one, Iowa. Number two, Michigan. Okay. That's the one Hotland kicked the game-winning field goal in 86 yep. when they went to the Rose Bowl. But yep. um, Fry, just, he used to love to mess with people. So the pink locker room, obviously, is an obvious thing. And it used to drive Sam Beckler nuts. He would, he would actually get butcher paper. He'd have the equipment manager go get butcher paper to cover the walls. And Fry used to say, see, I'm already in his head. Yep. And then uh, the other thing he used to do was he'd take – the linemen, the other linemen who were obviously not the center, and he'd have mm-hmm. them long snap the ball to the kickers, and it was going all over their heads and stuff during warm-ups. Yeah, yeah. And Beck would walk over like, Fry, you're not having those guys snap the ball, are you? Because no, no, we're not punting today. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Me too. I love it. He's That's the king of it. All right, so uh, one thing, obviously, in the offseason, uh, James Daniels sent out that tweet, which I really – was very respectful and did it in a really way that he wanted the program to improve. And I think what he wanted to happen has been the result. Um, certainly the program has reevaluated itself and they've listened to their athletes and brought a lot of tough discussions and they've made some changes. So I don't want to take you down the, that road too far, but one of the interesting things that came out of it was how they were going to handle uh, the anthem. And certainly I, I try to stay away from all the social media stuff, but that seems to be a hot point for a lot of the fans. But ever since they have been doing it, um, you know, giving the option to the players, and, and I love that first game with Francis on his hand on the shoulder of one of the players who is taking a knee. There's five next to him. Um, I, I kind of seen that seems to be have toned down. And I think a lot of people don't understand where that came from. Um, the taking a knee was not how Kaepernick first did it. He obviously went and sit on some coolers. And you know, people took offense, understandably so, and I get it. Um, there was a specific guy who walked on at Nate Boyer, who was a, uh, he was a long snapper, as a matter of fact, as well. And he was asked by Military Times, he was a Green Beret, to give his perspective. And he wrote it in such a way that he wrote it to Kaepernick, um, his response and Kaepernick somehow got a hold of the article and then asked to have a sit-down with him, and they did. And Kaepernick was interested in t- He didn't understand why people were taking offense because he didn't mean it that way. And they came up with a compromise, which is that when one of the fallen of brother and sister out at war, um, when they go down, that is how their brothers and sisters take a knee for them to honor them. And same thing at a funeral when they when they come out with the uh, coffin that's draped in an American flag, it gets wrapped and, and it gets folded properly and taken to the family and delivered to them on a knee. Um, so it was a way to show respect to the flag and to the, the military. And I don't think a lot of people understand that. Um, 
But it's interesting. Wouldn't you get any take on that? Are you kind of surprised by it that uh, Ferentz has been listening and that's happening in Kinnick in Iowa? No, I think that's um, – I'm not surprised. You know, I knew he, he had talked about taking a step back, reevaluating some things. And, you know, obviously uh, with all these social injustice issues and, you know, Kaepernick was trying to bring awareness by – by protesting, um, the, the point of a protest to bring uh, is to bring awareness. And um, you know, I've heard a number of professional athletes, you know, reiterate that hey, they're not doing it, um, you know, to discredit uh, our service men and women. They're trying to bring awareness, and I think that you know, Coach Ferentz, uh, you know, considering everything that happened this summer. Um, I think that was really kind of the first opportunity for him to say, uh, let's evaluate this as a team and, and move forward accordingly. And I think, you know, letting the guys, uh, because a lot of it, you know, even when I was in the program, you know, I felt like, you know, most of the complaints from the, from the players over the summer, um, you know, I felt like I wasn't able to be my true authentic self. Now you can be your true authentic self and also, um, you know, follow rules and guidelines and the demands of, you know, being part of a, uh, a, a big time college football program. Yeah, conforming you know? to a team in the unit. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have rules and regulations or you can't have the, uh, you know, the, the inmates run the asylum. But I think that. <clears throat> you, you tried there sometimes. Was... <laughs> but you got some credit, some self-awareness is good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'll be the first to admit today that, I couldn't approach things much differently, um, you know, and I think I was just sort of unaware of the climate of where I was. Um, and, and I needed, I think I needed to have more knowledge of, you know, who coach Ferentz was at that time, you know, who he was and, you know, what his principles were. Um, I, I guess today I would say if I could, you know, sort of, uh, do it over, uh, my, and, and, and I, and this is also what people don't understand. I was bothered, uh, by the fact that him and I were not tight. Like I always secretly had this desire for us to be like, you know, buddies, but there was, you know, resistance for me because there was such an effort to change who I was, you know? And I think, you know, obviously that, you know, caused us to have a lot of friction, but nevertheless, back to your original question. Um, we'll have this discussion at some point. We'll do a longer fun one. You yeah, and I also have yeah. a complicated relationship and, yeah, probably worth having, yeah, but, and you can clear the air on some things that I think no, it's worthy of no people question. hearing. Yeah, no question. But again, I mean, I, I was I was happy to see. I actually really felt that uh, when Coach came out and he was able to finally speak, and Co uh, Athletic Director Gary Barter was uh, finally able to speak, I thought their comments were sincere. Uh, I felt that I truly felt that the program was going to move in the right in the in the right direction. Changes were going to be made. And I feel like those changes are underway. But like we've seen that with, you know, if you would have said in 2006, uh, hey, coach, I'm going to kneel for the anthem, you know, he, he would escort you out of the building at that moment. But now with the climate of the country, the things that are happening around the country, you take a step back and you evaluate, wow, you know, maybe I need to reconsider my, my views. And I think he's done that. I think the program's better because of it. Yeah, I think the whole country is doing a reevaluation re for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, one last thing and let you go. Go do your job and go do some coaching. Um, the legacy of the number 15, we got a good one right now. 
Tyler Goodson. And obviously, uh, you wore that number. I did a little research on this. Do you know who the greatest number 15 was as a Hawkeye? Well, I know four of them off the top of my head. Um, Tyler Goodson, DJK. Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, Miguel, and Miguel Merrick. Those are the four. And there's Um, one that's the greatest, one of the greatest. They almost named the stadium after him and Kinnick. Okay, go ahead. Duke Slater. Familiar with him? I don't think I've ever See, heard that. See, that's something I really think the football program needs to do a better job with. Um, so, uh, you know, you probably wouldn't even know. Where did you live your uh, freshman year in the dorms? I lived in Hillcrest Dormitory. Hillcrest, that's right. Huh, I forgot you guys. For a while there, the football team was only in Slater, Slater Hall. Okay. It's named after Duke Slater. Wow. See, listen. That's the first time I've ever heard that. Never knew. How about it? Yeah, Number so three. at the north Position. end of the of Kinnick Stadium now, so you have Kinnick on the south end, the statue. You guys all yeah, touched the helmet yeah. on the way in. Yep. yep. Uh, Duke Slater is now, they just redid the north end, and they have a, if you look at my uh, Facebook cover picture, um, it's, it's a relief that's on the outside of the stadium. So he's now on the north end and Kinnick on the other side. And there was talk okay. for a while to name it Kinnick Slater Stadium. How cool would that be? And let's pretty cool about it especially going back that far 1918 to 1921 uh, is when he played and he's like one of the most dominant offensive linemen in the post-world war era he was uh, the first black all-american and was a charter member of the college football hall of fame so he was one of the first class that was inducted in the college football hall of fame he was part of it did you say he was an o-lineman he was a lineman yep with number 15 yep a little different back then I guess so. And he also um, he also just got inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame this last summer. How about that? Pretty cool. There's a lot of history there, especially African American history and stuff. And he went on to become a, a lawyer and then a judge, a judge here in Illinois, very highly regarded one. Duke Slater, great name too. It is right. It also great sounds name. like a Hawaiian surfer. We had a Duke on Moku, so the Duke. That's how we know him in Hawaii, but. Yeah, it's a great story, and I hope more and more people get to learn about it. But they actually refer to the the NFL ball as the Duke, and I have to look up why. But I know uh, on the leather it's inscribed the Duke. Uh, that's why. Huh. Just, uh, on, on, what do you mean? Where do you mean on the on the football? On, so on the NFL football, every NFL football, it's inscribed on there the Duke. I'm googling as we speak. Official NFL game ball, the Duke. The Duke official. It's like, yeah, it's like, I it's trying to sell me stuff. Well, here, I, I, this is what it says. According to history, the Duke by Wilson, first, the NFL first used the ball in 1941 at the urging of George Papa Bear Hallis, the legendary Chicago Bears, Bears owner. Yep. Uh, and coach, the ball was called the Duke in honor of Wilmington Mara to reward Tim Mara for arranging the contract that made uh, Wilson the NFL's game ball supplier. Hmm. Yeah, so. There you have it. No association to our Duke, though. Chicago. All right. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, glad you're well and your family. Um, for those of People don't know you have a lovely wife and two boys. Two boys. Jackson two and Jet. Jet. 
go. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. We'll have one of these soon where we we'll actually do a long one. And uh, yeah, let's do it. I'll allow you forward. to clear the air a little bit and and uh, clear up some confusion that I think some people have. I I've always loved you, as you know. So much love, and uh, we'll uh, talk soon. You're the man. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, I still view you as my most prized mentor, um, if you will. I appreciate um, that. Definitely, definitely appreciate all the knowledge um, and guidance and encouragement you've given me over the years, and definitely look back. Look forward to getting back on here. And uh, well, we'll tell our story. It's a good one, and I. I very proud of you and everything you're accomplishing right now. You've turned into the, the great man that uh, hopefully comes out of that uh, fairness program. And I think you've benefited from it. You're a terrific dude. So keep up the good work. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Bye. Yeah. Love you. Bye. It was good catching up with Jarrell. We actually recorded that a week and a half ago. And tonight is the eve of Thanksgiving. Getting ready to watch the uh, tip off of the first game of the year. But I did want to give thanks to those of you that are out there uh, serving on the front lines and probably won't see your family as you help to combat this virus. And obviously, as always, those of you serving overseas. So big weekend of uh, Hawkeye sports. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Hawks.